And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Well, hello, and welcome again to the mentors. I'm Rick Brutico, your host for today, and today we're going to have a kind of interesting discussion, a little unusual. For those of you that listen to this show, you know that I believe wisdom is knowledge modified by experience through time, and I think what we really have to chase in our life is wisdom. Today we're going to rely on the wisdom of a very special guest, a close friend of mine. Uh, We'll be speaking with Mr. Timothy Strader. We spoke with Tim uh, about a year ago. And he did a show show with me on economics. Today, he's going to give us his insights on elections and the value and the issues of elections and the process of elections. Tim is one of those people over the years who has done a number of great things, but, but, but involved a lot in local, state, and national level. So with that, uh, I wanted to get, uh, hold, get Tim on the line and say, hello, Tim, how are you doing today? Thanks, Rick. I'm doing great. I'm glad to hear that. And we, we, uh, you know, uh, this this whole idea of elections, I think there's so much misunderstood. A lot of people don't realize really what it is. But uh, it's such a timely subject as we're coming into these elections. So uh, let me ask you, as we do this discussion, where where do you want to begin? Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, I think that because uh, many of your listeners have already voted, uh, for example, in California, as many as 30 to 40 percent, People vote absentee. Uh, and for those who have not, please go to the polls and vote. This is an important election. Everyone is. And your vote, believe it or not, does count. So with that, uh, Rick, I'd like to start off on uh, talking about uh, the situation in California that many people haven't really thought about but should know about to understand how important their vote is. Is that okay with you? It is, and I, I hope you use that famous phrase that you've taught me, and that is elections have consequences, because I'm a big believer, as I know you are. Well, thank you, Rick. That is absolutely correct. And in order to understand the facts that exist in California today, uh, we need to focus on voter registration. Roughly, voter registration in California is 40% Democrat, 30% Republican, and 30% declined the state. This means that neither party can succeed without convincing a majority of the declined the state voters to vote in favor of their candidates. The declined the state people, however, will pick and choose between offices and they don't vote for a slip. So what heck does that mean? That means that we have to convince the people who decline the state that they need to step up and vote for a particular candidate or a particular proposition. Now, uh, I'm reading a very thoughtful book by Jonah Goldberg, who's an editor for National Review and a weekly columnist in the LA Times. 
It's called Suicide of the West. And the subject is how the rebirth of tribalism, populism, nationalism, and identity politics is destroying American democracy. Now, it's an interesting book because he points out that for over 200,000 years, humans lived in poverty and died young. Only in the last 200 years have we moved to a civilized society that has provided the lifestyle we now enjoy and has extended our life expectancies. Now, I spent a year in the U.S. Army stationed in Korea in 1964. At that time, most of the Korean people lived in poverty, and life expectancy was about 39 years. This is still true in many parts of the world. So, to change it, what really happened? Well, democracy replaced tribalism. And as Americans, we're blessed because our founders placed the ideas and principles of democracy in our Constitution, which laid the groundwork for our uniquely prosperous existence. Those ideas That's... were... Go ahead, Rick. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that, the, the, it's, I'm very interested in, interested in what you're saying, and I, I hope our listeners are listening very carefully to that. I mean, what an indictment, suicide of the West, and focusing on the other side of it is that uh, our, our democracy, our form of government has led us to the lifestyle that we have. And I think often elections aren't taken seriously enough because we don't realize that they have these consequences to them. Well, we take it all for granted. I mean, that's What's the sad part about it? Because uh, I'm an old guy. I'm now 80 years old, and I've lived through this fabulous American experiment, and it has provided me with opportunities that I never would have experienced if uh, we were still a tribal people. So some of these ideas that uh, the founders put in is our rights come from God, not from the government. The government belongs to us. We don't belong to it. The individual is sovereign. We're all captains of our own souls, not bound by the circumstances of our birth. The fruits of our labors belong to us. So what has happened? Well, we now have running water, electricity, antibiotics, dentistry, air conditioning, democracy, and the rule of law. These are remarkably new inventions in human history, and they're all alien to humanity's natural habitat. So with that particular subject in mind, uh, I would like to talk about my personal life uh, because I think it's important to understand. Uh, and that Tim, is... let, 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 let Tim, let's hold that for a second. We're getting coming up against a break, and I, I want right. to really focus on that one last point that you made, which all of these wonderful enhancements that, that we've got have come really, in, in our case, in just a little over a couple hundred years here in the United States. But worldwide, we were living as tribal people for probably the last, what, uh, close to 5,000 years at least, I would say? Oh, 200,000. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. 
So, you know, people don't recognize that the form of government, and look at all the forms that are out there. There's, there's despots, there's monarchs, there's uh, elected uh, the people. The people that claim they're republics, however, they're really still monarch re- monarchs or, or led by some sort of a despot. And the results are kind of clear. They don't live the lifestyle that the United States of America lives and most of the Western world lives. So we, we've got something here, and it's really worth protecting. So I think we'll kind of hold that as a little teaser for coming back to break. I'd like to have you go into that. Tell us how you got here and what your thoughts are and what ours. Stick with me and we'll be talking with Tim Strader and the importance of elections. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well, welcome back. We're talking with Tim Strader, a marvelous intellect and a person knows a lot about elections our subject for today we had spoken the first uh, segment about elections having consequences and as we go on in this discussion we're going to try to identify what they have but one of the things that uh, tim identified in the last segment was that the consequence of a government such as ours which of course is created by the process of us electing people uh, is that we have been had a very vibrant and a very good and high standard of living for almost since the founding of the country as it spread through the whole the whole area. What did we do to get here and how do we maintain that? So Tim was about to tell us a little bit about his story and I assume that Tim that you're going to tell us how you left Ohio, came to California and stayed in Orange County for the rest of your days. Well, thank you, Rick. I, I'd like to really thank our founders, okay, who in our Constitution rejected nobility as the method of anointing the chosen people. Instead, they created a society based upon merit. Because without that change, and that's only 240 years ago, okay, I would never have enjoyed the life that I've enjoyed. My story is I moved from Ohio in 1960 to California to enjoy the opportunities provided by the state of California to become a valued member of the community. That opportunity was not available to me in Ohio because my parents came from West Virginia and were not a part of the establishment or what I call the chosen. So this gave me the opportunity, based upon merit, to compete and to live the life that I've been so fortunate to live here in California. But there are some other great patriots who have uh, given us some direction about going forward that I'd like to quote. And the first one is Ronald Reagan, and this quote is from 1967, and I was a uh, Reagan supporter. And he said the following. This is very important, so I'm going to say it slowly. Freedom is a fragile thing and is never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation. For it comes only once to a people. Those who have known freedom and then lost it have ever never known it again. 
So uh, what 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 a what a statement, Tim. I mean, I hope we all focus on those last few words. I've obviously heard that statement, that quote from uh, President Reagan for years, but never really focused on that last sentence you said. Those who have known freedom and then lost it have never known it again. And isn't that true of every empire that preceded us? Absolutely. And I know you're a historian, and you can talk about the Roman Empire. You might have even been a part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I'm not quite as old as you are. (laughs) Close, though. (laughs) Uh, At any rate, I would like to also uh, take a quote from a document that didn't get much coverage. And this is John McCain's final letter to the American people before he died. We are 325 million opinionated, vociferous individuals. We argue and compete and sometimes even vilify each other in our raucous public debates. But we have always had so much more in common with each other than in disagreement. If only we remember that and give each other the benefit of the presumption that we all love our country and we will get through these challenging times. We will come through them stronger than before. We always do. His final statement, do not despair of our present difficulties, but believe always in the promise and greatness of America, because nothing is inevitable here. Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. That is a very, very powerful statement from a patriot and uh, should be the thing that generates our interest in getting out the vote to make sure that we're carrying through our right and obligation as an American citizen. Well, you're absolutely right. And uh, we, as we know, there were a lot of issues that took place as John McCain ended his life or was getting drawing towards the end of his life. And a lot of, uh, of, of that raucous uh, comments that you, debates rather, that you talked about. But in the final analysis, the man speaks in the way of a patriot, uh, which he exemplified through all of his years of service. So it's, it's powerful words. It's powerful. Where do you think that leads us? Well, uh, I can tell you a little bit about the facts, okay? And the facts are what will be the trend in politics in the state of California. And so... I think it's important that we look to the facts, and they're just facts. These are not opinions. These are facts that we're going to have to deal with in California. And so I'd like to start out by talking about the fact that the decline in Republican registration is occurring. That is happening because uh, the decline in white population uh, is occurring in California. And these are just facts. I, I, I don't want it to be misunderstood that they're anything more than facts. And this has resulted because of the reduction in Republican registration. Uh, this has resulted in a reduction in Republican-held congressional districts, as well as state Senate and assembly districts. These are just facts. Well, and, and the fact the fact has got an important thing as it relates to our kind of topic of elections have consequences. I mean, we're essentially, for the most part, a one-party state. Now, you may 
like that or not like it, but it certainly takes away some of our choice in the fact that we, uh, in almost every material office, it's controlled by one party, and the legislators, legislature, the assembly is controlled by one party, and, 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 and most of the significant positions are controlled by one party, including those that represent us at the federal government. So, um, yeah, those facts are really important, but they really make the point. If that's what we really want, I mean, I'm appalled, and, and I, I wanted to get your comment on this anyway, but I'm appalled at the fact that when I go to vote, in some cases, I have to vote for one of two people, and both of them are of the same party. What's that all about? Uh, that, thank you. That's unique in California. We changed our primary law a couple of years ago to where the person uh, for office who gets the most votes uh, is the candidate, but the person who gets the second most votes becomes the other candidate regardless of party. So in some of the offices, the constitutional offices, we have two Democrats running and no Republicans. So that's what you're talking about. And uh, so that's only in California. That's only in California can we come up with ideas like that. <laughs> and what, Tim, do you do you know was that was that passed through the assembly or was that a a, a, a proposition? I think it was a proposition. I, I I can't recall. It's been three or four years. I. I think since well, that occurred, it, it, it makes it, it makes your point again, though. See, I mean, w- again, you can like the consequence or not like the consequence. That's up to the individual. But certainly, it makes the point for those people that don't like it and didn't go out to vote. Shame on you. And for those of people that like it and went out to vote, well, it proves that when you vote, things happen in the way that you expect them to or that you would like them to. So, uh, I really think that gives strength to, to the comments. Um, so anyway, you were telling me about the 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 uh, decline in the in the population and, and the registrations rather, and uh, I I think uh, I'd like to go into that a bit more. But be but before we do, we're coming up against a break, and that's one of the things about radio is that we come up against a break pretty regularly. And if so, well, let's hold it till after the break, if you don't mind, Tim. We'll uh, we'll pick up with this right after the break when we'll talk to Tim specifically about what can be done about this decline in registration and more. More, more enthusiasm from the electric to go out and vote. You're listening to Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well, we're back again. We're with uh, Timothy Strader. Uh, I, I really need to tell the, my audience a bit about Tim's accomplishments because He's been involved in so many levels. Uh, he, he's, he's a lawyer. He's a developer. He's a philanthropist. He's a fundraiser. Uh, he's an organizer. He's been involved in so many things. I, I've known him for close to 30 years. He's a gentleman that gets involved and really understands the process. More than that, he's a person who's been involved at both politics, both the local, state, and federal level. In fact, I think, uh, Tim, I want to maybe start with that. Weren't you involved at some point on the, as a delegate to one of the national conventions? Well, thanks, Rick. Uh, I was actually a delegate, a California delegate, to three Republican conventions. And uh, in the old days, they were very important aspects of the political system, but today they've just become kind of a a rubber stamp uh, because of the primary system that we have in the United States. And so in the old days, they actually functioned uh, where they selected the candidates for office. But uh, 
yes, I have been active in the Republican Party, uh, and uh, I do have some very close friends who are members of the Democratic Party. So uh, it's kind of a hobby with me. I really enjoy politics, and I feel that we've been so lucky to uh, be members of the United States of America citizenry. Uh, we just don't realize how lucky we are. Well, and I, and I think it's also important for those of us that know you, it's also important to let our, our, our uh, listening audience know that um, you're still a, a very, very much involved in local politics. And today, local politics has a lot of the, the things that, that I think our founding fathers had in mind, where we understand the candidates, we understand what it is that we're trying to get accomplished, we understand how to go through the process, and then you need to work the political side as well as the governmental side and the, and the business side. Uh, and I know you're, you're really involved in that, and I also know over the years there's been a few Democratic uh, candidates that you've supported, especially at the local level. Uh, uh, that's true, isn't it? Uh, that is true, and uh, something that we need to point out is those local elections are considered nonpartisan. But believe me, uh, <laughs> the facts are that uh, there are certain uh, people who are pro-business and certain people who are not pro-business, and so uh, the partisan kind of sneaks into it. But literally, uh, by California law, they are nonpartisan. Uh, and the fact that people are in one party or the other doesn't really matter. And I still want to go back to the fact that... Well, go ahead. Yes, I just going to ask you about that. <laughs> 30% of the people declined to stay. So that's right. where the action is. That's and, and when we left at the break, what you were telling us, and I think we're about to tell us, was uh, that we had to do something to uh, both get to these people that, uh, that declined the state. How do we how do we get them to understand the, the candidates, the issues? How do we present our issues to them so that they vote in a, uh, they vote or register or whatever come out in a way that they understand the issues and understand what it is they're voting for? I, I get the opinion and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I get the opinion that a lot of times. What we really have is a, is a popularity contest. Uh, I mean, the slick ads, lots of money spent. You know, a lot of them are really negative ads instead of positive ads of what we do. I don't know that we get to understand the clients. Uh, I mean, clients, the candidates, rather. And I'm, I almost feel that we don't understand the propositions, but we should talk about that later. So what do we do to try to get this thing shifted around and get people to be really active participants, not just on Election Day, but all year round? Well, thank you, Rick. I think we've got to focus on the facts again. And the facts are that 40% of Republican voters are 60 years old or older. Only 33% of Democrat voters are 60 years old or older. So looking to the future, we need to look. Again, these are facts. These are not opinions. To the California population uh, by ethnicity and uh the California population aged 8 to 17, which are the future voters, by ethnicity, are factually as follows. Right now, 52% are Hispanic, 11% are Asian, 5% are black, 4% are multiracial, and 27% are white. So those are the facts. Now, uh, what does that mean? That means that both parties need to focus their appeal on the younger voters if they wish to elect 
office holders in the state of California. So, so that by that, I assume you mean that we need to, uh, and it doesn't matter what I'm party I'm talking about now. What 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 you're saying is that the people that are making these decisions need to tune their. Um, I guess what their beliefs are, what they stand for, what they're going to do when they're in office, and and make it clear to those potential voters, especially those young ones that are coming up that yet have not made any real decisions, uh, that that what what they get and what they don't get if they uh, go with a certain party or, for that matter, a certain candidate. Is that kind of what you're alluding to? Uh, that's what I'm alluding to, and I didn't uh, plan this when we were talking about this discussion, but I think the fact that 52% are Hispanic in the state of California means that immigration is a very important issue. We know that on the national basis, and we know that uh, going forward, it will be a very important issue. And I think that there's enough blame to go around to both parties for the failure of the federal government to adopt policies in the past that will respond to the situation that we are facing with immigration. There's no question. Everybody on the planet would like to be a citizen of the United States. But as a uh, democracy, uh, we are a sovereign country, and we have to limit the ability for people to come in based upon, well, some people have said merit, uh, and I don't know what the final answer is, but Rick, Talk about that a little bit, because that's really going to be the big future issue in the state. Well, you know, you're you're right. And and, and the, the thing I, I go back to years ago, well, years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I had an office in Mexico City and I used to go once a month all the time. And I stayed at this little hotel very near to my to my office. For whatever reason, on one of my last visits there, the um, uh, before we sold that that division off, uh, that hotel was full. And so I stayed at the, I believe it was the Sheraton, but it turned out that it was right next to the U.S. Embassy. I did not know that. Every day I go into the Sheraton, walk in at night, and I see this huge line of people in front of this big, massive building. This goes on for three days. Finally, the third day, and my curiosity gets the most of me, and I say, uh, I go to the concierge, and I say, what in the world is that line of people out there? Are they signing up for something? He says, oh, yeah, they're standing in line waiting to get their uh, number to, you know, get a, a, a get into the United States. In other words, to, to get through the, the, the immigration process, to start, begin the immigration process legally. And I said, well, how long have you been there? Well, he said, some of them have been there weeks, others months. And I think that's the issue. The real issue is no one's against immigration. It's 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 been the the basis of our of our our, our democracy, our country since its founding. But the problem is there's a fairness issue and there's a legal issue. And I just think that you know we're a country of laws. You have to obey the laws. And I agree with you. This goes back. You quoted Ronald Reagan to begin with. He tried a program of amnesty that totally didn't work. We need to come up with a way that's fair, that's right, and it gets us people, allows people to come in the country, and more importantly, allows us to get the, the people that we need, the workforce that we need to continue to grow our economy. So it's a win-win for everybody if we do it right. Um, but anyway, once again, as you know, we're up against the break, so please stick with me. And after that, after this break, we'll get back to some of the other consequences of elections. 
you have a message for our listeners? Imagine right now, instead of hearing these words, you could be hearing your message on the Mentors Radio Show. We offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners. We love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals. See for yourself. Give us a call at 844-610-8255. That's 844-610-TALK. 844-610-8255. Or drop us a note at TheMentorsRadio.com to learn more. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well, welcome back. You're listening to The Mentors Radio, and don't forget, you can hear and read about everything we do on TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. There, there's uh, all the archive of all the shows we do, and in addition, there's all the archive of this particular show you will be able to also get notes, show notes, and things such as that that are published on the, on the mentors. And there's also, uh, I would uh, uh, advise you, because my publisher has told me this, or my, rather our producer has told me this, that they have a voter's guide link there. I believe they, they call it a, val- a family values voter guide. And the link is, again, mentorsradio.com. So when we left, we were talking about some of the issues and how the electorate is formed. Um, I'm just wondering, Tim, do people really understand what we do when we vote. Do they understand the kind of government that we have? I mean, we say we're a democracy, but that's not right, is it? Uh, No, and thank you for raising that issue, Rick, because most people don't realize they no longer teach civics in the school system. Well, is that true? All of our uh, students are supposed to learn this by osmosis, which doesn't happen. And so what we do in my family is we discuss it at the dinner table. And I think that that's something that I would recommend uh, to whoever is listening. Uh, You have the responsibility and the obligation to teach your kids about this great democracy experiment that we have uh, because it's not being taught in the schools anymore. So let's talk a little bit about that. And our founders uh, put together uh, a republic. And by a republic, what that means is We have a democracy in that you vote for individuals who then go to uh, Washington and uh, they are the legislative branch of government. We have three uh, different branches, the judicial, which are the judges, uh, the elected, and then the executive. And the executive are the individual office holders who are not legislative in passing laws, but in executing the laws that are passed. So uh, that's how our founders set this thing up. And in the state of California, we have a kind of an outlier idea, and that is that we're going to permit direct democracy on uh, propositions uh, where the legislature fails to act. And... uh, As a result, each election, we have a series of propositions, very complicated issues that are put on the ballot for people to vote on. And uh, that particular system has created, uh, in my opinion, a very poor public policy. Why do I say that? I say that because the proposition turns a complicated subject really into a three-word soundbite for the special interest to spend their money saying the simple thing like vote no on 10. 
Okay. Now, uh, right. 10 is yep. a very complicated proposition. And so the legislature are the people that are supposed to be in our government, the people that are supposed to solve these public policy issues. So on this particular ballot, uh, there are a couple of issues that I think are important. And this is number six. I'm voting yes on six to take away the 12 cent gas tax that the legislature put uh, on all of us. And I'm doing that because there is a surplus in our state and they don't need this money. They have other monies that can be used to do the things that they claim the 12 cent gas tax. What about you, Rick? What are you going to do? Well, I guess I would agree with that. I, I, I've, I, you know, the, my biggest bugaboo with the with the gas tax itself is that when when we were young, Tim, uh, the gas tax was put on every gallon of gas, and its function was to expand our highway system, maintain our highway system, and the like. Um, it worked wonderfully for years. But all of a sudden, people realized, and that is the legislators could realize, gee, we can steal from this fund and put it somewhere else. And next thing you know, uh, we don't have enough for infrastructure, so they say. So what do they do is pass another tax. And this tax is uh, it's, it's actually so misnamed, it's ridiculous. And, 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 and it's just, it's, uh, it reminds me a lot of when we did the lottery in California. You know, we'll never have another problem funding schools, but and the lotteries have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, but they don't. It's because, and I'm going to paraphrase a Ronald Reagan comment, but it's it's something like, uh, the government doesn't need to pass more money for taxes because they'll spend every amount of money that they can get their hands on. It's not the other way around, where they need the money, so they pass the taxes. The more money they get, they can spend. And, and that's the issue here. We, there, this is not a well-thought-out idea, and it certainly is unnecessary, as you correctly pointed out. What do you think about other props, Tim? (laughs) Uh, Thank you, because uh, that's one where we have the opportunity to uh, tell the legislature that we did not approve of what it is they did. Now, uh, I am going to vote for the rest of my life uh, no on all the bond issues. We have enough debt in this state and enough money in this state to do all the things that need to be done. And every year... They come up with these bond issues. For example, proposition number three, uh, uh, let's see, proposition number one, four billion in general obligation bonds. I'm sorry, we don't need them. So I'm gonna vote no on most of the propositions. The one I am gonna vote yes is on number six. And uh, other than that, I think that uh, it's bad policy to put these propositions on the ballot and expect the individuals have enough knowledge to go ahead and vote on those particular propositions. Well, you're right. What 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 was the number that you said? How much was that proposition spending? How many billion? Number one is four billion. It's, yeah, it's, so one of them. I'll lay you. I'll lay anything you want. Make a a, a, a a turkey sandwich or a cup of coffee. And uh, you know, if I bet if I walked around and asked somebody to describe a billion dollars. They would have a very hard time giving me any explanation of what it is. I remember an old 
uh, old thing on the Johnny Carson show years and years ago when he started, and this is when we just started quoting billions. And he'd say, you know, a billion dollars, if you took $1 bills and started stacking them on my stage, they'd reach all the way to the moon. Now, whether that was a true caricature or not, I don't know. But what I do know is he was making the point that people don't even have an idea what that is. So here we're voting to spend $4 billion on general obligation bonds. I would also guess that most people don't realize what a general obligation bond is. They should be aware of the fact that a general obligation bond means that each and every one of us in the state of California is liable for, to repay that money. Now, obviously, what happens is the, the, the state goes more into debt, pays back the bonds, but that's what it means. It means the California to stay solid, and I think, you know, I'm right about that, aren't I, Tim? I should be asking you instead of saying it. No, thank you for that. And uh, the other one, number three, is $8.8 billion. It's, it's just nuts, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 your, and your point is right. Who understands the... Yeah, who understands the proposition? I mean, your point is so correct. You you can't understand a proposition with a with a three cent vote yes, vote no, or even the slight uh, explanation that's given in the voters' guide. This is very complex stuff, and it gets back to the fact that people don't recognize that we vote for representatives who are supposed to make these decisions with with all kinds of help from their staff and from other experts, economic experts, to give them advice. You can't make it in a voting booth, especially in whatever that is, 30 seconds so we'll we'll we're we're uh coming up against a break again tim so let's uh stick with us audience we're going to wrap up right after this break and uh, we're going to find out about elections and why we all should be voters and now back to the mentors where remarkable ceos challenge your thinking about life and business well, welcome back. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. Well, I'm Rick Brutico. My guest today is uh, Tim Strader, who has been enlightening us on some amazing facts and issues about elections and about our form of government. It's these kinds of things that we all as citizens should be taking seriously, especially in these in these times. This is our last segment, and we only have a few minutes to wrap up here. So I thought I'd ask Tim to kind of give us his best hints about the election process. In other words, what recommendations would he make? And I don't mean as to propositions or as to candidates. I mean as to what we, the population, should be taking away from this kind of uh, discussion. Tim, do you mind doing that for us? No, I, I'd be happy to, to try. Uh, and uh, I really believe that people at the present time don't realize the necessity for them to educate their families about this 240-year experiment in democracy, which has taken this 330 million people uh, all the way to the point of being the world leader, and it's because of the system that our founders put together. And I think that's very important. So if there's a takeaway from this is that elections have consequences, and those consequences are that if we want to continue to be the leader of the free world, okay, and we want to continue to have the freedoms and to have the prosperity that we've all created, you need to exercise your vote and go and elect those people that you think accomplish the things that are important to you. 
You're, you're so right about that. And, 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 and one of the things that you alluded to but didn't say, uh, although I know you would agree with me, we are also the preeminent economic power in the world. And no matter what you might read about to the contrary, debt to China, yada, 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 number of people, all that kind of stuff, it's not close. The United States economy still drives this globe. There's a reason for that. We have an economic engine that's driven by free enterprise. And when people don't realize that, they don't realize free enterprise, and they expect the government to act like that economic engine, that economic management tool, it doesn't work. They're not quick enough. They're not nimble enough, let's put it that way. It's too complex. It takes way too long to get projects approved. You would know that, Tim. How long does it take project approved today to when you started your career 50 years ago? Yeah, and 50 years ago, we could get a project approved in like six months now. It's probably three years. Yeah. And, and I hear horror stories where people say it takes 10 years. Um, it, you know, the, the, the problem is that government is its own worst enemy. And we've got to make government as small as possible so that it only can do those things. And this is quoted <laughs> by our founding fathers. Only those things that we can't do for ourselves. And that's the same thing true at the state level. So these bureaucratic engines that we produced are a result of our actions, our inactions at the election box. And with that, I guess I would ask you, Tim, what I'm almost thinking that our, our strongest recommendation should be people get involved and go out and vote. Don't stay home. Would you agree? I agree with you 100%. And in addition to getting out to vote, you've got to share your views with your family and your friends. And there's nothing wrong with disagreements, okay? From disagreements, oftentimes come new ideas that solve the problems that we're all going to face. Well, you're right. And if they do a good job of educating their family, all they got to talk about is John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And boy, there were disagreements that never ended. So it was, you're absolutely right. So, Tim, we're. Running out of time now, so thanks very much for joining me on this show. Thanks for all of that information. Thanks for the recommendation, uh, which uh, The Suicide of the West by Jonah Goldberg sounds like a, a wonderful treatise. I'd like to dig into it myself and see why it's such a, a terror in the name, Suicide of the West, but I think he's right. I know for a fact that empire after empire, whether it's the British Empire or the Roman Empire, it doesn't matter. They've all come and gone. And one of the things that we have unique is our favorite form of government. So please join us again for Mentors Radio. And remember, this show and all shows are on our on our website, thementorsradio.com. Thank you very much for listening. And, and remember, every day in every way, make the world a little better. And that same thing goes for your country. Thank you. Have a good week. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.